Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. The 2023 World Internet Conference Wujin Summit has kicked off in East China's Zhejiang province. The conference focuses on hot issues surrounding the internet, such as green development, data governance, artificial intelligence, and even digital cooperation on China's global development initiative. What is the future of the internet? What are the majority trends in today's digital world? And how can the digital economy, which has played a stabilizing role during the pandemic, further integrate with the real economy? To help us answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Hong Hao, Chief Economist of Grow Investment Group, Jeffrey Towson, partner of TechMode Consulting, and Michael Sam, Director of the Institute for Digital Finance Innovation at Zhejiang University International Business School, and the Chief Scientist at the Beijing Frontier Institute of Regulatory and Supervision Technology, and Professor Richard Werner, uh, Linnake College, University of Oxford. Welcome to Dialogue. The theme of uh, this year's Wujin Summit is uh, creating an inclusive and resilient digital world beneficial to all, building a community with a shared future in cyberspace. Uh, so Hong Hao, you know, how do you define inclusive and resilient uh, when it comes to the digital world? Yes. Well, I think inclusive means um, across culture, across language, and also across platform. Uh, I think, you know, right now, obviously, there's a major block of uh, English literature that is online and also uh, a major block of Chinese literature as well. Uh, I think most of the, the platform now can actually do a, a automatic translation of website for you. Right? So that's enabling uh, people to share information data across uh, cross culture. I think platform wise, um, uh, within China, we've seen, you know, many of the major platforms uh, here in China, uh, it's actually uh, starting to integrate. So they're allowing mutual access, mutual recognition of platforms uh, of each other. And also, I think uh, across the uh, uh, across the world, you know, really means that uh, more liberal uh, access uh, to the information uh, outside one's country. So I think, you know, uh, to me, that's sort of the um, definition of being inclusive. And I think resilient really means, you know, data security. Uh, and also network security you know so when people are increasingly spending their time their life on on the internet uh you know their identity and also their privacy uh, will be protected and i think um even in the western culture right so uh, uh recently we've seen uh, some lawsuit case against the some of the giant u.s companies you know regarding privacy protection so i think you know on on this uh two regards uh the online community is making good progress Michael, I mean, this is the 10th year of the Wujin Summit. Uh, over the past decade, uh, people would agree, you know, the digital technology has transformed the way we live, work, and connected with uh, each other. Um, so, I mean, looking at the situation uh, where we are in now, um, what are the challenges? Do you agree that challenges probably mostly is about, you know, whether we are inclusive enough or whether we are resilient enough? in terms of probably security uh, to rely on the uh, digital technology? 
Well, I think uh, we certainly made a lot of progress. Uh, coming from where the internet was really invented in the sort of 90s, we've had, uh, say, 25 years of development. And if you look at sort of uh, developing countries such as China or the US, roughly 40% of the GDP of the country is now digital. Okay, so we made a tremendous progress going from zero to 40% of uh, the overall economy uh, in digitization. And this is a unilateral trend. It will increase, of course. However, um, you know, the uh, infrastructure and the interconnectedness of different silos of ecosystems at the country level, at the organizational level, uh, still there's challenges, right? So I think one of the key aspects of increasing uh, resilience and also increasing uh, financial uh, inclusion overall is interoperability. So I think the next phase of development as China uh, sort of extends its international reach and as uh, globalization continues to occur is allowing these different uh, siloed ecosystems to interoperate with each other. And on the standpoint of resilience, I think it's also one of competition because if there's only one or two major players, uh, then it could be said that the, uh, uh, the ecosystem is a little fragile. For example, in China, uh, you know, the, there's a duopoly for digital payments, right? So Alipay and WeChat Pay represent over 95% of all global payments. Uh, and, and one of the things that the Chinese government is trying to do is bring the ECNY, right? It's a good example of increasing resilience because by adding a central bank digital currency, now you add a third option where the policy banks or any fintech altogether can partake and create a more robust ecosystem for resilience. And I think that is what uh, this is all about, is the uh, next phase of globalization is about having all the uh, global economies of the world connected, interconnected in a resilient fashion and in an interoperable fashion. Well, Richard, welcome to Dialogue. Uh, you know, we have been talking about uh, inclusiveness and resilience in this uh, digital world. Where are we now in terms of uh, protecting the data? At this juncture where, you know, we're, we're moving into this very new digital world, um, it would be good to think about how can we maintain or cherish some of the aspects of decentralization that actually have proven to be very, very effective and successful. I mean, let's just look at China. China, thanks to this decentralization where you move the decision-making power of who gets a loan, who gets money, for what purpose, it's delegated to the lowest level, the villages, to these local credit unions creating credit. And so actually you get many more people um, contributing, being part of the decision-making power. So we all agree, you know, we, we deliver data, but if we can also have a bit more decision-making power, actually it could be very good for the system because China is a great example of how if you empower people uh, on the local level, the result has been tremendous. Four decades of double-digit economic growth, lifting more people out of poverty than anywhere in history. It's been amazing. And it's it's been a big lesson in decentralizing the banking system, I think. Mm -hmm. And so we can transfer that example to uh, data, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Michael, speak of uh, the Chinese uh, uh, situation, the Chinese case, you know, uh, how does the Chinese government or, I mean, the, the Chinese companies, you know, handle the data? Um, I mean, uh, uh, because of 1.4 billion people, we know we produce a tremendous amount of data at every moment, basically. Following on uh, what uh, Professor Werner was saying, I think decentralization is the new buzzword. Uh, and you, it brings into, uh, uh, into play new technologies like blockchain, which is, is you can think of as Internet 2.0 technology, which allows decentralization, but allowing transactions and sharing of data uh, in, a, in a transparent 
uh, and trusted way, right? And so uh, this type of technology is being uh, used by uh, the Chinese uh, government in, 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 you know, in very, very, very uh, importantly. Uh, Xi Jinping, President uh, Xi Jinping uh, announced in 2019 that blockchain was going to be a fundamental technology and, and incorporated into the five-year uh, roadmaps. Indeed, it has become you can think of it as the infrastructure of infrastructures, which connects all of the decentralized uh, data uh, around uh, around the country in different organizations, at different levels of government. And by adding blockchain to uh, these cloud storage data centers, we have a very flexible mechanism to be able to do, do data pooling and to aggregate that data from decentralized sources. Uh, of which, of course, then you will be able to do conduct uh, big data or sort of AI services on top. Mm -hmm. uh, Hong Hao, you know, speak of the blockchain or big data or rather the digital economy. You know, China has talked about accelerating the development of the digital economy, uh, further integrate it with the real economy, and build internationally uh, competitive digital industry clusters. Uh, tell us what is the key element? What is the key thing China is aiming? Uh, you know, what's the difference? You know, the relationship between digital economy and the real economy here. Yeah, well, I think China is a, is an example of you know a very extensive application of the uh, data technology uh, into the real economy. Uh, you know, many of the world's uh, biggest uh, online uh, commerce companies are, are you know Chinese platforms. Uh, so basically, you know, these uh, companies build data center. Uh, and then, you know, uh, as uh, Michael mentioned just now, you know, they use a uh, uh, very uh, advanced uh, data center to extract information or sometimes even privacy uh, from this data and start marketing to people. And so, you know, gradually over the past 10 years, as you can see, the online uh, uh, commerce activities has been uh, progressing very fast uh, in China. And I think China is now the leading sort of a commerce uh, uh, country in the world and, and the single stay uh, event, which is the the world's biggest uh, sales event, uh, is coming in, in a couple of in a couple of days. Uh, so I think you know right now, uh, you know, because the uh, the the growth of the uh, Chinese market uh, is starting to slow down and, and in some parts trend, uh, starting to matured, uh, then the online companies are starting to extend overseas. You know, trying to expand the market. And so uh, recently we've seen, uh, you know, one of the subsidiary of Pinduoduo uh, is expanding its operation in, in the U.S. and it's really hitting the competition such as Amazon.com really hard. And I think this, these are like really prime example of, you know, how best to sort of use the uh, advanced data technology and the commerce platform, e-commerce platform uh, across the world. Uh, so, you know, I think right now, especially in, in the bigger cities, you know, pe people are spending like, you know, more than half, or maybe 60, 70% of their, their life online. Uh, so I think data security and also online privacy becomes a, a very uh, a top issue uh, for for many of the companies and also for people who are, you know, spending so much time online as well. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Hong Hao, you know, if you stick on this, uh, you know, topic, uh, you know, some people are expressing the concern that if you, uh, you talk, talked about uh, the single day, you know, 11th of the November, the biggest sales day there, uh, you know, people are going, are going online for uh, shopping, uh, but then you can see fewer and fewer uh, customers uh, are in the real uh, bricks and mortar shopping malls. Uh, they are, you know, people are, are concerned with, uh, you know, the development of the real economy, say, because of the digital economy. Is that a fair criticism? 
Yes, I think to a certain extent, you know, it's it's giving the uh, brick and mortar shopping malls a really tough time. I think even in in China, you know, many of the uh, big shopping malls nowadays are like a lot less traffic than uh, they used to have, and some even you know probably going bankrupt very soon. And I think similar situation is developing in the U.S. I think ever since the uh, the pandemic, uh, basically the online activities has been sort of accelerating, right? So people are not only shopping online but also uh, working from home online as well. So I think you know if, if you look at the uh, commercial properties in the U- in the U.S., the A-grade uh, commercial real estate uh, valuation is mapped down by more than twenty percent. And I think overall, the entire uh, U.S. Uh, commercial real estate market is being marked down. The valuation of of that is being marked down by forty percent. Right, so it's a very substantial impact uh, uh, on the uh, the real world economy. And I think over time, you know, you probably have to come up with a new way uh, to you know how best to sort of reuse. Uh, many of those properties now is being deserted uh, by the online activities. Recent development, uh, you know, some of the uh, like the the, Austri- uh, the Canadian government, for example, they have these uh, uh, restrictions imposed on TikTok, uh, Chinese company mm. owned by the ByteDance. Of course, there's a lot of politics, you know, geopolitics involved. But at the same time, it does uh, raise the question of the security issue. You know, how should a, a firm make uh, uh, you know take advantage of the big data at the same time you know respecting privacy and of course security of the individuals and also uh, n- other nations Jeffrey yeah. yeah it's I mean data is becoming kind of this crazy thing because it's not even clear what data is anymore almost everything is data it's not words on a page it's videos of the street and sounds and people who it's everything now and it used to be about security. How do we keep it you know, intact in a company or with an individual? But AI, as they roll that out, requires massive amounts of data to be flowing in all directions at all times. Sensors everywhere on the street, drawing data, channeling it upward, being processed, coming back down. So we're in a funny situation where we have to explode the amount of data make it secure, but also make it shareable at the same time. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing to see. And a lot of Chinese companies, uh, Huawei in particular, they're really on the frontier of this. I mean, they are really one of the, you know, the 5G, 5.5G. Uh, they're really tackling this question quite well, but it's, yeah, it's a massive issue. Mm-hmm. A massive issue. Uh, so, Michael, I would say a massive issue, you know, for for each individual company, you know, Chinese uh, or companies overseas, you know, on the, at the same time, you want to make good use of this uh, data you collect it, the same, you know, uh, and also you want to make sure that uh, uh, there is a security. There are new technologies that come to bear that kind of allow you to have 
the best of both worlds. So at my Institute of Digital Finance Innovation, for example, we are researching new types of cryptographic techniques such as zero knowledge proofs. Okay, What that is, is basically a mathematical way of allowing you to prove the identity or some attribute of an individual without needing to know their uh, you know, personal identification number or the details of their life. And so by using this type of technology, you can have the best of both worlds. You can allow the government to uh, be able to ascertain identity or access control or the appropriateness of uh, a transaction, for example, to uh, you know uh, wire money in and out of the country, uh, you know it's well reasoned that they want to check for money laundering and uh, terrorist activity, right? But they don't really need to know that this individual's uh, identity or whether this person has gone to the corner store to buy some uh, personal products. They don't need to know that, right? And so the new technology allows you to have uh, the ability to monitor at any fine grain level while at the same time preserving the privacy of individuals. So I think there are new technologies that will be coming to bear that will uh, kind of allow uh, the new aggregation of data, allow access control so that individuals have a, a, essentially retain control of their individual data and opt in if they want to give that data and still do the things that you want to do with regard to the aggregation of data for uh, AI and big data applications. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael, if you look at uh, the global situation, we do see like China and the U.S. probably they are the two countries uh, ahead of many others in terms of the digital technology, digitalization of their economy. And other parts uh, of the world, like Southeast Asia, um, the ASEAN countries, they are also making headways, you know, impressive headways in terms of digital development. Uh, what about the other regions around the world? Are we seeing uh, imbalanced or balanced development here? Well, the thing is uh, with technology is that it actually uh, democratizes its access, i.e. Uh, it eventually goes from, uh, you know, very few people to be able to access it to everybody can access it. And a good example of that is uh, something like broadcasting uh, video, right? Before, if you want to, uh, you know, broadcast your, your, yourself saying something, you, sorry, your father had to own a, a, a TV station, right? But now you have uh, uh, millions, billions of Lao Bai Xing on TikTok doing all sorts of things. So, and, and the marginal cost of that, by the way, goes to zero. Okay. And so like this, I think all uh, technologies is going to follow this trend. At first, uh, for example, I think the next uh, uh, revolution is in digital finance, right? Before, if I wanted to, uh, you know, find investment or get access to an asset, uh, I have to be on an exchange. I have to be very institutional. I have to pass a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, KYC and things like that. And in the future, as uh, Jeffrey mentioned, anybody with the phone, will be able to access this, to be able to uh, find access and invest into products, to be able to get investment and, 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 uh, you know, and to be able to do all these things on a phone uh, with zero marginal cost. And I think that is the great opportunity here, is the digitization of these technologies spreading around the world. And certainly the, uh, the, the greatest uh, uh, benefit is in the uh, developing world, in places like Africa, where there's literally hundreds of millions of people without even a bank or bank access, but they can now start to conduct trade and get investments and, 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 uh, and things like that using their, uh, their phone, mm -hmm. which is ubiquitous. 
system. Yeah, with, with the easier access uh, to the technology and of course with also uh, more advanced development of technology like AI. Uh, Professor Richard Weir, uh, you know, we have this uh, summit in the UK, the first AI safety summit. Um, obviously people are more concerned with um, the uh, more advanced technologies here, including uh, AI. Uh, so what's your takeaway of the summit and um, how important is it uh, to say, to ensure, I guess, like resilience, for example, of the technologies? Again, we have to see some kind of balance because, um, you know, for example, in, in Europe, the Euro European Central Bank is discussing the introduction of uh, CBDC, a central bank digital currency, um, and, and also the Bank of England. Bank of England, in fact, uh, proposed to the government it should be programmable. Um, and it looks like that's where AI is going to be deployed. So basically, um, you know, there, there's just the idea that there could be this algorithm and then uh, you can have um, programmability, which means your money becomes uh, potential money, you know, um, depending on uh, whether you get the permit at that moment, at that time. Um, and... Uh, and also at the same time, in, in, in Europe anyway, they, they, the idea was by central banks to, um, to really compete with the banks and, and use the CBDC to, for everyone to have an account at the central bank. Now, it's very different from China because in China, um, you know, the Chinese banks saw that Alipay, WePay have become key uh, payment mechanisms. And why shouldn't there be also the central bank offering something similar? Um, and for all of these, you need to have a bank account. So it's not competing with banks. Banks are part of the system. Whereas in Europe, the idea was to directly compete against banks, which means the banks will be outcompeted if the regulators step down in the arena. Um, and then you get um, actually back to a very centralized Soviet-style monetary system. So I think China's got it right and got the balance right, where we see um, you know, the systems need to be resilient, but they also mustn't lead to... Um, sort of um, developments that would actually backfire. Um, and so I'm, I'm a bit more concerned in, about the rest of the world, how they're doing this. And I think we should look at China to get some ideas, to get the right balance. You know, from the start, I was very impressed how the central bank made clear that this would go through banks because they did not want to reduce this very good decentralized banking system. Uh, so this, these issues of resilience and how does the system sort of then not get out of hand and we get side effects that we don't want, uh, we, we should be aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, Hong Hao, you were nodding head. What's your response? You know, uh, I mean, digital yuan, for example, the digital currency in China, yes, uh, is in, I mean, relatively advanced stage, but still you see the central government is very cautious in popularization of the digital currency. Uh, what's the concern? Yeah, I think the uh, obviously the central bank uh, and the regulators are holding back on uh, the efforts of you know extending the use of, of the uh, digital currency further. But I think the uh, digital form of RMB has been in existence for a couple of years now, uh, and I think in, in some part of of China, say for example in Shenzhen, uh, you will be able to, and also in Shanghai as well, you'll be able to uh, use your digital yuan to buy. Uh, uh, stuff from a, a convenience store and it has been going on for some time but I think the scale is very limited I think Richard was right uh, to point out that you know there, ha there has to be a balance between a commercial banking uh, a network that has been working exceedingly well 
for the Chinese economy. I mean, if you, if you look back in the, in the past 40 years, you know, by building up the commercial banking network system, uh, the banks were able to extend credit uh, uh, to the uh, real economy. And that is the, the bloodline uh, for the uh, real economy so that the, the economy can grow. And then at the same time, you know, the central bank, you know, trying to maintain uh, the monetary policy, you know, to strike a balance uh, between uh, growth and inflation. So I think it's it's extremely important, you know, to have a a sort of a, a limit, uh, uh, you know, between the digital currency and also the real world uh, uh, commercial network, uh, so that um, you know we don't, you know, towards the end, you know, we, we don't go to an extreme that you know we eliminate all the um, uh, commercial banks and then it, there's only one bank left in the society, which is the central bank. Um, you know, there's a declaration approved at the, uh, uh, the summit, AI Safety Summit in the UK. China is one of the 28 countries, along with, uh, you know, United States, you know, yeah, they um, uh, do agree that, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, there's a danger posed by the most advanced frontier AI systems. Uh, where are we now in China in terms of AI, in terms of a security issue? I mean, AI, people welcome uh, in, in, because it comes to help, but at the same time, uh, there's a, along with the advancement, there's, a, there's increasing danger there. Yes, absolutely. But actually, I think, uh, if anything, China is absolutely leading the world in terms of uh, the sophistication with which to develop AI. Uh, you know, frankly speaking, uh, uh, you know, in other parts of the world, there's a kind of a hodgepodge of uh, policy and there isn't any sort of coordinated action between uh, different groups or between the government and industry, et cetera. Whereas in, in China, uh, you have these five year, 10 year, 15 year plans. And also you have a lot of coordination between government sort of uh, high level uh, objectives and roadmaps with industry coordination. So considerations like data privacy, uh, you know, I think uh, China is leading the world. I mean, just in the last year or two, uh, you've seen uh, uh, the Chinese government kind of rein in a lot of these private sector companies that were uh, using a lot of data, uh, of, of personal data of individuals for uh, economic benefit. And so now there's a lot of uh, very well established rules to be able to uh, govern the, the safe use and the privacy issues related to that, right? So likewise, as AI develops, of course, we need to put in the uh, uh, mechanisms of control and governance so that AI can be de developed ethically. Now, of course, this is a new concept. Uh, you know, uh, big companies like Google or uh, Huawei or Baidu, they all have their sort of ethics boards uh, discussing this. But in the West, I think, uh, because it's, it's essentially a very uh, free and capitalist system, I think these rules are not as enforced. Whereas in, in, in on the Chinese side, where there's a focus on societal uh, harmony and common prosperity, uh, these are, uh, uh, you know, emphasized by the government, we should see uh, uh, very well reasoned uh, AI ethical uh, privacy guidelines, data usage guidelines that will serve the public interest of, the, of society. Jeffrey, last word uh, on the prospect or the future of the digitalization of our life, of our economy. Uh, the thing I focus most on is probably AI at this point. It's, you know, it has something that we haven't seen in other tech, which is it's evolutionary. It can improve itself. <laughs> ChatGPT is quite good at writing code. It's, it's, it's a half step away from writing its own code. Uh, so it's I think we're looking at an acceleration that is greater in the next 10 years than we've seen in the past 10. 
Uh, that's probably where I'm mostly focused. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic with the caveat that everything that can go wrong probably will go wrong, but it'll still be okay. Well, on that note, uh, we come to the end uh, for today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. Thank you for being with us. I'm Qin Duo. See you next time.